Talk Sports. Back with another episode, Jordan, The Last Dance documentary. I'm here with another special guest. Today we have Jay. What's up, man? What up, man? Just woke up a little while ago, got my coffee in me, so I should be ready for this episode. Man, man, we got a lot to talk about, a lot to talk about. The Last Dance documentary, episodes 9 and 10 aired yesterday. Uh, I would think I was on my feet as soon as they aired the Indiana Pacers Chicago Bulls series. How you feel about it? Yeah, I mean, it ended on a good note. It kind of sucks out because now I don't really have anything to look forward to. I know ESPN for sure, like all the talk shows this week, they're going to be milking <laughs> the last two episodes and try to see what they could come up with. But uh, yeah, it was pretty. The documentary came at a good time, man, because obviously, you know what's going on. There's no sports right now. But yeah, dude, we got a lot to talk about, especially from last night's episodes. Yeah, yeah. So, like we said, episode 9 and 10 aired last night of The Last Dance. That was a wrap. They showed Jordan against the Indiana Pacers, Utah Jazz mainly. They gave a background story on Steve Kerr. And they gave an ending to know why the Bulls wasn't brought back for the 99 season. Those are a little bit of things that these episodes discussed. But what's your takeaways from it? What do you take away from episodes 9 and 10? Uh, I had a couple. My biggest, well, the first one I kind of like stuck out the most was pretty much like after the 98 season when they won that final and sixth championship. I didn't know how, how exhausted Jordan was, man, physically, mentally, emotionally. Back in the day when we always used to talk about how, like how dominant Jordan was in the 90s, we always talked about how, like, how he just kind of wrecked the whole league and how easy it was for him, but... This documentary kind of put it in context on how, like, the stuff he went through, not just with his teammates or against, like, competition, but with the media as well. Like, growing up, we all saw Jordan as, like, that kind of, like, dominant figure who was untouchable. But apparently he wasn't. So I think that this documentary did a really good job of, like, going into context of, like, the stuff he went through, like, his personal life as well. He didn't really have one. So I think that played a whole part, and that just kind of tells you how mentally strong he was. The way, you know, he just toughed through everything and battled it out. And then it's funny because, like, the whole earlier this season when the NBA was still going on, we would always debate or have, like, casual arguments about load management. And I always went on rants on how I hated it. But what people forget is, like, dude, Jordan was playing, what, like, 45 minutes a game in in the 98 finals just because, like, that whole team wasn't – he had to kind of carry him at the end. He was 34 years old. Like, imagine freaking Kawhi or LeBron trying to do that right now. Well, LeBron can. But, like, yeah. imagine Kawhi saying, well, you know, he has to play only 35 minutes because of this or whatever. He Jordan you know? even mentioned that in the documentary that Phil asked him, how long can you go? Can you go all 48? And Jordan said, I'll go all 48. Don't take me out. So I think that was a good look into how the Bulls really needed him in that last game, especially – with the game winner, and not many people realize he had 45 points, game winning shot. He actually carried the team. Scotty was hurt. He went out in the first half with back problems. He came back in. He was more like a decoy. Jordan really had to put it all on his shoulders. This documentary really showed that. Yeah, and then people kind of forget that that 98 Bulls team, it wasn't as good as they thought it was going to be or they thought they were. Because remember, Scotty was kind of like towards the end of his peak. Like, that's when the back issue started to come up. Yeah. And then at that point, Rodman, he was kind of more of a distraction than he was, like, you know, an 
asset to them. He was still getting rebounds and playing defense and all that. I'm not saying he wasn't. But they went on earlier in the docuseries about how he would just disappear during the season, went on his little Vegas trip because, you know, he was working out <laughs> or whatever. Then they talked about yesterday how after, what, game three of the 97 or 98 finals, I forgot which one it was. He um, went to he the, went, uh, he went to go wrestle in WO. Yeah, the WCW. At that point, I feel like in 98, Rodman was just kind of more of a, like, a distraction than he was what he could offer on the court. And then, you know, Steve Kerr, they had shooters and all that. They had a bunch of role players. Cool coach was still good. He still had him. But that 98 team wasn't as great as people may think they were. So I think that says a lot about Jordan. I think that says a lot about Jordan as well. I really like they really gave some insight into how those 97 and 98 teams were different because the 97 team was a lot better and maybe a lot younger, uh, more fresh legs than the 98 team. What I really took away from it is we finally, finally settled what Jordan had in 97, 98. He didn't have the flu. He had food poisoning. Many people call it the flu game. It wasn't a flu game. So we had to go back and change that title. We had to go back and change the 12 sneakers. They're not the flu game sneakers no more. We don't have to call them the flu game sneakers. I mean the food poisoning sneakers. I thought that was real because actually one of my friends from New York told me that. We were going back and forth about discussion. He was like, why people keep saying it was a flu game? He'd have the flu. He had food poisoning. They tried to poison him so he couldn't play. I liked how they actually talked about it, how the pizza was delivered. Jordan asked the teammates if they want any. Nobody else wanted the pizza. Jordan ate the whole thing by himself. And by 2, 3 in the morning, he was curled up in his bed. He had to call for somebody to come up there. That was that was really funny. But somehow, you know, as Michael Jordan, he was able to get all that, put all that aside, play. The team was down early, but he ended up with 38 points in 44 minutes. Jordan, Jordan like. If that isn't a Jordan moment, I don't know what is a Jordan moment. Oh, yeah, no, it, it definitely is. But go back a little bit about the whole food poisoning situation because <laughs> I have a couple questions about that. I was kind of like, when I was watching that part in the documentary yesterday, I was kind of scratching my head because, first of all, I don't think they're telling the whole story like because <laughs> we all know pizza in the middle of the night is, is the perfect kind of drug food. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure, you know, Jordan was famous for cigars and drinking. I'm pretty sure he had like the, a late night craving. But I don't get how they were in the hotel in Utah. When they ordered the pizza, what did they tell the pizza place? Like, hey, you know, this is for Jordan. Come over here. You know, or, like, that's the whole part I didn't really get. Yeah. Like, how did those pizza people know it was for Michael Jordan? Because they just said over, like, Tim Grover's name? or That's a good question. That's a good question. I'm not sure. I mean, when you pay for the pizza, do you pay for it over the phone back then? I don't think so. You probably pay it in cash. I don't know if they were accepting debit cards back then. I'm pretty sure they were. But in Utah, maybe they knew it was for Jordan. Maybe the hotel, they called the hotel and said, uh, what room is Jordan in? And they gave the room number, which, you know, that's probably breaking, you know, confidentiality rules, regulations and stuff like that. But I don't know how they knew. But as they said, five people came to the door, peeked in the room. And the dude said he didn't let. Nobody in the room. He took the pizza. He paid for it. He gave it to Jordan. Jordan asked anybody did they want some. Jordan ate the whole thing by itself. Yeah, that probably should have been the first red flag when you see five people delivering one pizza. 
Like you probably Tim Groves probably should be like, hey, well, I don't, I don't think so, man. You might have to just stay hungry and we'll get something to eat tomorrow morning, not risk it. But yeah, he said he had a bad feeling care. about it when he took the pizza or when he saw the five individuals. He said he had a bad feeling about this, but hey, Jordan wanted it. Jordan ate it, but it's probably worked out in Jordan's favor. He got sick, and now look at him. He's that helped him. He's even more immortalized after that game, after being carried off the court by Scotty. After having the towel over his face every time out, looked like he had nothing in him every time he sat on the bench. Jordan-like performance. Another reason why people have Jordan as a GOAT. Yeah, no, that was definitely, yeah, that was a crazy kind of game, like the backstory on that. Yeah. That was pretty, we all know about that. That's an infamous Jordan moment. That's why he's obviously the greatest of all time. But kind of piggybacking on what you said, for my second takeaway, going into Scotty, we were talking about this a little while ago and all that, but, uh, I don't think this documentary really did any favors for him, like kind of his legacy, because, you know, before this, everyone used Scotty as like the ultimate wingman or like the greatest, you know, second number two of all time, yeah. which, you know, mm -hmm. you can still say he is, but he was awesome. But the way, even going back to, I think, episode two or three, when they talked about the bad boy Pistons mm -hmm. and like what they had to go through with them, like, if you were a Bulls fan back in the day during that time, you know, Scotty probably gave you a bunch of heart attacks during that time, man, because the way they talked about the mind grain in Game 7 of the, 90, yeah. uh, the 1990 Eastern Conference Finals. So that was this first kind of, like, letdown moment, I want to say, but not really. Yeah. And then, you know, Jordy could have easily used him there in that game. And then also, like, what was it, Episode 7, when Jordan was retired, and then they had that whole little situation in Game 3 with the Knicks. You know, with Tony Kukoc you know, taking the final yeah, shot. He took himself out. That didn't really that look bad for That Scotty. one looked really bad, actually. That looked really bad. Yeah, and then him saying after that he wouldn't change anything if he could go back. I mean, I don't think he did himself favors there. And then in 98, you know, the whole back situation, even though he did tough it out, and I think that did kind of help his case because he could have easily said, you know, my back spasms or whatever was wrong with his back. I know a lot of people would understand. I know you got back problems, so you probably couldn't relate to them. Yeah, no, back problem is nothing to play with. I don't know what was worse. I think we were talking about this earlier. I don't know which one was worse. The playing with food poisoning or playing with lower back pain. I mean, I would say lower back pain probably would be because you can't really move. Playing with food poisoning is also tough as well. Yeah, so, I mean, that kind of did help his case because he did tough it out. And he didn't make a couple passes, even though he wasn't the same. And then also, they even went out in, what was it, episode one or two, where, like, he started the 98 season kind of not in a holdout, but yeah. you know, he waited until, like, right before the season and had the surgery just to kind of, because he didn't want to, like, like quote, fuck his summer up. Yeah. So, I mean, that was a big part of it. So, I don't think he really looked, they didn't portray him as good as maybe people would have thought. It was known that he did kind of hold out and he was getting underpaid, because what they were paying him during that time, that was robbery to the way definitely, definitely. after his production during all those years. I don't want to say his reputation took a hit, but there are some questions now whether like he could have handled those situations way better. But no, I think that's interesting that you bring up Scotty because I think this documentary did portray him in a just some positive and negative things you could take away from Scotty. Like Jordan always said he would have he never won without Scotty. So you can, he didn't win any championship till Scotty got there. I liked how, I believe, episode two, how they show Scotty's background, how he came up in a household, Arkansas, went to central Arkansas, worked his way up. 
He was, I think he was the sixth or seventh pick in that 1988-87 draft. But then after you get deeper into the documentary, you see all the negative things that they portrayed about Scotty. As you mentioned, the migraine against the Pistons, how he set out, set out against Tony Kukoc, the holdout at the beginning of the 98 season, and then the back problems in 98. I mean, I think Scotty's a great player. You can't take anything away from Scotty, but he did have some, maybe you could say Scotty's a little bit sensitive. I would say that might be the right word for it, but you can't take away from his greatness. Jordan needed him. Jordan knew that he needed Scotty. That's why Jordan talked about when they started playing against the Pistons, he pushed Scotty to be great because he had all the attributes as Jordan, but only attribute he didn't have was the mental toughness and the will and the work ethic to go get it and make himself great. But other than that, Scotty had everything Jordan had, so they had to push each other, and that's why Jordan pushed him. But I think it's interesting how the documentary portrayed him in a positive and negative light. So Scotty may be trending on Twitter after the documentary, but I still think Jordan realized that he needed him. I don't take anything away from Scotty and his greatness. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to say his reputation isn't taking a hit because I know most people are still going to say he's the greatest, you know, number two of all time. There's something that I didn't know, especially that 98, I forgot that he held out that year. Uh-huh. Oh, that he didn't hold out, but he had his surgery late on purpose so he could miss the first part and then just use that first part of the season to rehab. Yeah, dude, it's, he's up there, but he's going to have some questions to answer now. Or, yeah, he's going to have some questions to answer now, but he's still top 50 all the time, so. He don't have to answer to anybody. He's going to answer questions. He's going to see critics. He's probably going to read the memes, read the tweets, read the articles. But I don't think he has any questions to answer because Jordan always has his back. And Jordan always says, like, I couldn't have not won without Scotty. Look at my championship. I did not win any without Scotty. I'm interested to see how Pippen's remarks his feedback to this documentary. But everybody's going to have their positive and negative takeaways from this documentary i hope nothing comes of this i hope this don't change anything about pippen's character i still think he was a great player i just think he has some up and downs as every person does in their lifetime and in their career yeah without doubt what's your do you have any other takeaways i don't really have too many more takeaways i think we talked about it i liked how they gave a little backdrop into steve kerr life and how he lost his father in a situation yeah. that he went through. I think that was really good. We all know that Steve Kerr is a well-liked individual around the NBA. I think that everybody knows that Steve Kerr played a huge role and hit some big shots on that team. I'm happy they gave Steve Kerr some love. Yeah, I really didn't know about that whole the, with the situation with his dad. That was new for me. That was a pretty, I don't want to say cool moment, but that was a pretty, it was eye-opening the way the whole backstory to him and his father and like what happened to him eventually and how he kind of had that thing with Jordan. I thought that was interesting too, how they both lost their fathers, uh-huh. but they never really talked about it because they were both kind of still hurting from it. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting too, how they never really were able to relate or kind of have that like conversation about it. Yeah. And then, oh yeah. And then also I started talking about this yesterday, but this whole like Jerry Reinstorm, like I think he got off real, real easy. I know some people were talking about it on social media, but I know everyone was getting on Jerry Krause and yeah. he didn't make his mistakes, even though I think he was really good GM. And I think he was getting too, way too much flack. But I think Jerry Reinstorf kind of got off in this whole 10-episode docuseries. Just because, I mean, at the end of the day, you are the owner of the team. 
you have the final say since you're the one giving out the paychecks. I think with his word, he could have prevented this whole Phil versus Kraus situation or the, the whole going back and forth with Jordan and Kraus. I think before the 98 season, if he could have just sat everyone down in the office, in the same office and kind of talked it out and say, hey, you know what? No, I value each and every one of you. Let's keep it going until we get knocked off. We're going to give Phil his, his extension. We're going to pay Jordan whatever he wants. We're going to repay Pippen whatever he wants. I, he could have easily kept it going, especially after, you know, all the money they made up throughout the 90s. You know, they talked about it, well, in the middle of the docuseries, about, like, how much, like, getting a Bulls ticket was kind of like the golden ticket. Yeah, back then, definitely. How it was so hard and how all those games were sold out. So he definitely had the money. It's not like he was one of, like, the poorest owners in the league. He, he could have easily paid Jordan, Pippen, uh, Phil. Even Jerry kind of felt belittled by Jordan. Uh-huh. He could have paid him as the top GM in, you know, in the league. It doesn't count against the salary cap. Yeah. So, I mean, he could have easily took care of everyone to prevent all that whole situation in 98. Yeah. I think Mike Wilbon did a good job of explaining that how Jerry Rhinestone got off easy. He didn't get much as much negative feedback as Jerry Krause. He could have easily brought that team back. He did make a point that they were getting older and their market value probably would have went up and he wouldn't be able to pay them that, bringing them back long term. But Jordan explained it great at the end of the documentary. He said they all would have came back on one-year deals. They all would probably would have te- took less money to win number seven. And Jordan is exactly right. You have to let that team run it back until they lose. And I think that they probably would have won in 99. 99 was a short season. I think that was about 50 games that year. The eighth seed New York Knicks made it to the NBA Finals against the San Antonio Spurs. I could easily see the Bulls winning that. And then going into 2000, when the Lakers started their dominance, I think that would have been a great matchup. That could have been one of those Chicago Bulls-Lakers type 91 series where the changing of the guard happens. Everybody said that when the Bulls went into 91 and played Magic, that that Lakers team was pretty old. They were on the decline. That could have been the case for the 2000 Bulls if the Bulls would have ran it back twice and then played the Lakers in 2000. Instead of the Lakers playing the Indiana Pacers, they would have played the Chicago Bulls probably, and that could have been a changing of the guard. Yeah, it would have been, the question would have been, who would have failed, the 2000 Lakers, or the Bulls would have kept their team going? That would have been, that's know, that true. Been that's oh, true. That would have been a huge X factor. That would have been an X factor right there. I think that Phil probably would have stayed if he knew he had Jordan. Why not? Why not stay? But, he had taken some time off, and then he fell perfectly into the Lakers' laps, and it was, the rest is history. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, that whole situation in 98, it was all an ego thing, just because, mm-hmm. you know, the amount of success they had, everyone felt like they were a big part of that success, and they were, because, like I said, Kraus kind of got, like, the bad end of this kind of docuseries, but, you know, the moves he made to build that team, I don't think he gets enough credit for that. Yeah, but he had handled that situation with the media and like saying that management wins championships or he didn't make his mistakes. Like I said, if Rice would have just sat them down, if I'm the owner during that time, I'm not letting Phil go. Definitely. I'm just giving him a blank check and say, hey, how much do you want? Jordan, he already talked about his willingness to stay, so I don't think that would have been an issue, especially if Phil stays. He keeps on saying that if Phil stays, he does. The issue would have been Pippen, but even then, like if Jerry would have renegotiated his contract a year or two before that, I'm pretty sure he stays. Yeah, dude, it's just Kraus was an awesome GM, even though, like I said, he could have handled that situation way better. And some of it is due to his fault. 
but there, I, there's no reason why that team shouldn't have not have came back. Yeah. 99 and just it was, run yeah. one last time. It, it was definitely all due to Eagles. A lot of Eagles in the building. A lot of people couldn't put the Eagles to the side, but they were still able to win. At the end of the day, it was a lot of Eagles, but they were still able to win, and they won a lot. The best team of the 90s, one of the best teams ever. I think the documentary did a good job of showing why they were the best team ever, and Twitter blew up at the end of episode 10, and it showed why Jordan was the best ever. And let's talk about that. Is Jordan the best ever? Is there any... Room for doubt after the end of episode 10 or after that documentary, The Last Dance, that Jordan isn't the best. Well, before the whole documentary started, I already believed that Jordan was the best. This didn't really change my mind. It kind of just confirmed what I already believed. But the whole, like I mentioned earlier, the stuff that he went through in 98, how he was just kind of like towards the end of it, he was kind of drained and he Mm -hmm. still was able to pull through. Like the dude was playing 44, 45 minutes a game not just in the playoffs, but in the regular season as well. You know, there was no such thing as load management back then. You mm-hmm. know, they just had that mentality of we got to tough it out. And it's crazy, too, because I saw a stat. But Jordan from 96 to 98 never missed a game. Wow. He, he played a possible, like, it was a crazy, like, 304 games out of 304 games or something like that. Because he never missed a regular season game, and he never missed a playoff game. So he played every game possible, over 40 minutes a game, just the, like, longevity. That's why I do kind of have my doubts if like people say oh they would have ran it back in 99 they would have won i'm not too sure about that just because how that last repeat kind of took a toll on him mm-hmm. but the whole thing with you know from 96 to 98 how dominant he was and just kind of like the backstories to it how nobody messed with them and i think that's kind of like the whole big difference between lebron and jordan when you are making mm-hmm. those comparisons lebron never really had that mystique about him where yeah you don't want to piss this dude off because he'll just go off and then there's nothing we're going to be able to yeah. do. I think that's what the documentary did a great job as well. And also, I think that's why many people will have Jordan as the greatest because it highlighted every time somebody talks smack to Jordan, how he used that and it fueled him to just come back and just dominate like B.J. Armstrong after the 96 game when Charlotte took game two in Chicago and how he was like, I believe Jordan made this up too. I think I, in the documentary he said he made that part up, that BJ never really said nothing to him. He just, just fueled him. He just stared at the bench. BJ did, after he made that, that game when he shot in game two to kind of clinch that game, he did kind of yell at him. I don't think he necessarily yelled at Jordan directly. Yeah. But you know how Jordan was wired through. Like, that's all he needed. Yeah. He just been yelling out of excitement, and then you know Jordan would have took that personal. Was it episode seven or eight? They kind of talked about how... He's like, once he did that, like, he's like, DJ should know better, like, because that's, that's mm-hmm. all I really needed. And the series was over after that. Yeah, I believe but, uh, it was somebody Jordan was talking about that in 93 or was it 96. He said something to pump himself up, but the guy never really mentioned it to him. He yeah, just. Yeah, from the Bullets. I forgot his name. Oh, okay, from the Bullets, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, he like, oh, he never said that to me, but he told his teammates that he said that to him. So I think that's what the documentary did a great job at. And I think for the older generation, they already knew that Jordan was the best ever to play. So if you were born in the 50s, 60s, uh, maybe 70s, you saw Jordan play into the 90s, you would say that Jordan is the best. But for the babies born in 2000, let's say the 90s, 2000s, you have Kobe, you have the Kobe lovers, you have the LeBron lovers, and they would say that 
Kobe or LeBron may be the best. But this documentary showed why Jordan is the best. Not only did he revolutionize the game with the way the game was played and how he globalized the game, but just his passion, passion for the game, his clutchness, his fearlessness, his will to just go get a bucket when they needed a bucket. So I think that's just really highlighted that. That's why I like Jordan as the go. I think he is the go. I think it's no longer debatable until somebody comes along and just shows us otherwise. But I really think the documentary did a good job in showing why Jordan is the go. Just those clutch shots that he hit year after year. And that one shot in game four against Indiana, how he double pumped it and still almost hit it. And Reggie Miller was like, we made him double pump it. And he still almost made the shot. I Everybody thought the shot was going in to tie the game and send it to overtime. Even Reggie Miller thought that. So even the shots that you thought he probably wouldn't make, he had a chance of making them. And he always wanted those shots. And after he missed those shots, he was never deterred. He always came back. And he was like, it's just a roadblock. That's what he said in the press conference against Indiana. This is just a roadblock. Don't worry about it. We're going to go back to Chicago, and we're going to do what we need to do. And he just took the will out of some players sometimes. And I don't think Kobe – I know Kobe does that a lot. He takes the will out of you. If I look at Kobe's career, a lot of people play against Kobe. He's going to take that – uh, like, oh, you come in with the game excited, then Kobe just take all that from you. LeBron, I'm not quite sure. I know when people play against LeBron, they do get some type of fear, but I don't know if it's that Jordan and Kobe fear. Kobe to a certain extent, but Jordan always had, like, that aura of invincibility. And then remember, he played in the 90s where, like, the league hit its apex when it came to physicality. The trash talking was crazy. I had, like, all those macho men pumping their chest out. And all those guys were afraid of him, especially when his second run at that three P. Yeah. You know, he was that guy. He's like, you don't talk trash to at all, or else you're gonna regret it. And I think that's something that LeBron really didn't have, even when like during his peak years, like '09 when he won the MVP. There was never that aura of invincibility when it came to like, oh, there's no way we could beat, Le- we can't beat LeBron. You know, yeah. '09 when he hit the MVP and he kind of he was starting to peak. Dwight outplayed him in that playoff series, and they eliminated him in the playoffs. And that's why we never got that Kobe versus LeBron matchup that we all thought was going to come eventually. But, yeah, dude, I think I just think that that's the thing that Jordan has over LeBron. I know we could always people always talk numbers when it comes to, like, the comparison, but they got to take those numbers in context, and that's kind of my, my biggest issue with that. They never kind of explain the situation where, especially in, what, that 93 finals where Jordan went against Barkley. Yeah. He averaged 41, 8, and like 6 that the whole <laughs> final series. And then Barkley went off too. That's something that people don't talk about. You know, Barkley was the MVP that year. And it was at that game too where Barkley had like 42 and 13 was just dominating. And then Jordan still outplayed him. And then after that game, you know, Barkley even said like, that's the only time I felt where like I couldn't be a certain player. And that's what Jordan had that kind of LeBron doesn't. He didn't really like take other players' wills like that. Every time he had a rival... Everyone always felt that LeBron was beatable. Yeah. And, and another thing, yeah, and I think another thing about LeBron is I know he took him forever to get over the hump, but the way he got over the hump, how he had to change teams, how he had to team up with Wade and Bosch, go to South Beach. He lost in the first one to the Mavericks. He didn't play LeBron like. He came back even though he won back to back and they went to four straight and he went to Cleveland, got that title. He beat the 73 Warriors. I still think LeBron took a different route than Michael Jordan. Jordan played in the era where you stay with one team, 
you go up against the bad boy Pistons, the Boston Celtics, you get beat up, you lose your first couple of times, but then you eventually get over the hump, and then you just dominate from there on out. So I think the way Jordan did and the way LeBron did a little bit differently, and just to mention Kobe, I just think Kobe and Jordan are so similar. It's kind of hard to talk about two because they're so similar. They're so fearless. And what this documentary did for me, I think it helped me show why Kobe may be ahead of LeBron as the GOAT because the way Kobe played is the same way Jordan played, and Kobe dominated the era. You look from the time Shaq got traded from 2004 to about 2010, 11, Kobe dominated the league for a good seven years, and he got two championships. He went to three straight. So I think Kobe might be ahead of LeBron after this documentary as well. Yeah, I feel like he's kind of overlooked when people talk about like how the all-time great conversations. But it's funny, too, because when people always argue, the three names they mention is Kobe, LeBron, and Jordan, whether whichever order you have that. I feel like I don't want to say he's disrespected. I mean, he kind of is to a certain extent, but I don't think he gets enough credit for what he accomplished over his career. Kobe? I, I know ESPN last week, they ranked him as, what, ninth? Number nine, yeah, number Duncan nine, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that Larry Bird or Tim Duncan are, you know, slouches or anything because they're all-time greats too. But to have Kobe at nine is kind of ridiculous, especially after everything he accomplished. And he kind of had that second or third kind of, like, peak, mm-hmm. just like Jordan had. Like we were talking about earlier, like Jordan kind of had his final peak at 34 years old in those 98, 97 finals where he had to carry the team and took his game to another level. I think Kobe pretty much did the same. I think LeBron's going to do it as well. And he's showing it. He was showing it this season how like most people thought LeBron was kind of questioning his age and if he could still carry a team. And then he was having an MVP type year. But people forget with Kobe is that 09, 010, he did win those championships. And he was still playing at a high level, even though he was older. But you forget, like the year right before he tore his Achilles, he was dominating. He I, was I know dominant, he had a yeah. crazy stretch where he was averaging like 30 something a game and he was carrying that team into the playoffs. But that was kind of like his final peak, and he was like 33, 34 at that time. Like LeBron and Jordan, Kobe showed that he could take it to another level during different times of his career. Where, you know, we saw a 21 year old Kobe kind of come clutch and make it a reputation for himself in those 2000 finals what was it that infamous game four i think it was against the Pacers. fouled out in overtime and he took over and took a 3-1 lead against like the indiana Pacers. yeah i remember that yeah from like 2000 to like 2012 13 kobe he really showed that he could take it to another level in different yeah areas. i mean kobe showed a lot of great moments even in that nba finals against the philadelphia 76ers against iverson when they went to Philadelphia and won three straight after Iverson had took game one in L.A., it showed how great Kobe was. Kobe averaged about 30, over 30 points in those three games in Philadelphia. I'll never forget when Iverson was like, come to Philly. Wait till you get to Philly. And then Kobe was like, okay, I'm in Philly. And he just took over. And Kobe is definitely on a list of great players. I don't know how ESPN had him at number nine. But that's ESPN list. We're not here to trash anybody's list. We're not here to take away from the other players that they put on the list, as you said. We just have our opinion, and we think Kobe's a little bit higher. And after this documentary, I really think Kobe's a little bit higher because I have not seen anybody dominate the game other than Jordan. Kobe Bryant did that. 
in his fearlessness and his recklessness and the, the will to go get it every single time. When you need a play, whether it's on offense or defense, Kobe or Jordan was there to make that play. Yeah, and then people kind of use that against Kobe. I know we're not trying to make this a little whole Kobe segment because we're <laughs> talking about Jordan and LeBron. But people use the whole fact that, you know, well, Shaq was the best player on that team. Look at the finals. Who won the three finals MVPs during, during that stretch? Yeah. But Kobe really came through. Where they needed him the most was within the Western Conference playoffs, whether it was against Sacramento, was whether it was making plays on the stretch against, you know, that 2000 Portland series or in that game seven where he created that alley to Shaq. And 01 where, like, he just went off against the Kings where they were sweeping everyone. And those kind of close matchups in 02 against the Kings too and the Spurs where they had to, where they really needed Kobe and he came through. I think one game they always show is the 01 series against the Kings where they swept them. Yeah. It was like game three where it was going down the stretch and then Kobe was hitting those. Kobe got fouled and he still made that N1 and then he, he did the whole finger blow. Yeah. He had like 48 and 16 that game and it was crazy. I think that's when people don't talk about those type of performances as much or give them credit to. Because we all know like when it came to the final, Shaq was the dude just because the other team didn't really have a center that could stop him. And after that, it was over. But I feel like Kobe's playoff performances when he was young are kind of overlooked to a certain extent. But, like, LeBron obviously had his moments. Jordan, we all know, had his. But I think when it comes to, like, the final three, it's Jordan, LeBron, and, and Kobe. Jordan, LeBron, and Kobe. Whatever order you have it in. Whatever order you have it in. I will stick with Jordan being the best after this documentary. I think the documentary was great. I think it's probably the best sports documentary that I've seen ever. I'm probably going to go watch all ten episodes again in my free time when I have nothing to do. Any more takeaways? No, I mean, I'm good for that. I'm good for now. Like you said, the whole docuseries was awesome. Um, it was much needed, like I mentioned earlier. Yeah, and I'm just ready for Hopefully the NBA comes back sooner or any type of sport, man, because it will be awesome for the league to come back, especially now that we have this to talk about. Kind of see how LeBron finishes the year if there is a NBA season. Yeah, I think a lot of players going to be hyped off this documentary. They probably saw episodes 9 and 10 and wanted to hit the gym, hit the court. Right then and there, they probably went to all their practice facilities if they were allowed to go to their practice facilities to just start playing ball. The only takeaway I have, man, is I really, really wish we got to see 99. If they would have brought Jordan back all for one more year, I really wish that's the only takeaway I could see happen. I think Jerry Rhinestone, Jerry Krause did a, did a great job putting the team together, but they did a poor job of managing late in their careers. I really wish we would have got seven. You think... That they would have won seven if in '99 before we go. I was kind of, uh, you know, thinking about it after the last episode yesterday. I was kind of like going back and forth in my mind. But that's when I have like my little what if question for you, and that's when it comes into play. Like if they would have ran it back in '99, everybody came back. Phil, Scotty, Jordan. Say they all would have signed one-year extensions, just like how Jordan mentioned. Do you think they do come back in '99 and defend that championship, or you think? That was kind of like the last run they had in them. I think if you look at it, it was a 50-game season. The NBA Finals ended up being the San Antonio Spurs versus the New York Knicks. And the Knicks won. They were were an eighth seed, and they beat the Miami Heat at number one. I don't think there's any way the New York Knicks, the way Chicago dominated the Knicks in the 90s, I don't think there's any way that New York would have beat Chicago in 99 as an eighth seed. And I would pretty sure... I'm not saying that Jordan the Bulls would have had the number one seed, but it's a virtual lock. 
It's like the New England Patriots. They're gonna get the. They're gonna win twelve games. They're gonna win the AFC East, and they're gonna get a bye. So I think that the Bulls would have definitely been the number one seed. I don't see the New York Knicks beating the Chicago Bulls team after with Scotty, with Phil, with Michael Jordan, Steve Kerr, Rodman. I don't see that at all, and I don't see a San Antonio team with a young Tim Duncan, a veteran David Robinson, an elderly David Robinson beating the Chicago Bulls team. So I do think the Bulls win in 99. Let's just say if they were brought that same team back for 2000. As you mentioned earlier, would Phil Jackson have been a coach for the Bulls? Would he have been the coach for the Lakers? If he was a coach for the Bulls, does that mean the Lakers would have made it to the finals in 2000? That's a what if. But I would love to have seen the Chicago Bulls in the 2000 take on the 2000 Lakers with Kobe and Shaq. I think that would have been a changing of the guards. I think the Lakers would have won that one because I just don't see anybody containing Shaq on the Chicago Bulls. Kobe and Jordan in the NBA Finals would have been a great for NBA history. But I do think the Bulls would have won in 99. 2000, that one's debatable. Yeah, I think the biggest question for me is not that. But I think that shortened season would have helped them out. Definitely. Games. I think that would have benefited Jordan because he would have got some extra rest and he would have been able to pace himself. But I just think the other factors I was kind of thinking about is because I don't think they bring Rodman back even if everyone else stays. Mm-hmm. I think at that point, he was, that was his last you know solid year because you know, he went with what Lakers and somebody else after and he was just a show during that time, which is yeah. what he was doing off the court. It would have been interesting to see like who they would have signed as they're big, because remember, like, in the first title run, they had Horace, and in the second, you know, three-peat, they had uh, Dennis. So I think it would have been interesting and see who would have matched up with the young Tim, because he, he was starting to find his game during that time. That's why they won the championship. So I think that would have been the bigger issue. Not if they, I don't think they would have, like, broke down, because Scotty still has something left, even though he was starting, he was already peaked at that time. Yeah, and Scotty have came back is the question. That's the only question Jordan had as well. Yeah, it would have been interesting to see what moves Kraus would have made to kind of compliment Jordan and Scotty during that time. I don't know if there was any, like, nice free agents during that time. I know Barkley was a free agent, but he ended up going to Houston with Scotty. But I don't think they would have got Barkley. So it would have been interesting how they would have built that team. I think if they would have ran it back, I think they get to the finals and lose to the Spurs mm-hmm. in, a, in a good series. I think they just would have hit a wall during that time just because the whole – Tim Duncan matchup. We saw in the last episode, well, they were having issues with Malone and how he was kind of a matchup problem. Yeah. I think Tim Duncan would have kind of been the same thing. And they still had David Robinson, who was still pretty good during that time. And I think just having Popovich, too, I think they would have just figured it out. So I think at the end, uh, Jordan wills them to the finals, but I think he's just a little bit too short. But with Jordan, you never want to count that dude off, so I don't know. But I think that's my opinion. But it's, it's interesting that how that would have affected the 2000 season. Like, those Phil still leave after 99 if they do running back. If they do run it back. Yeah, dude, it would have been. I think Jordan and the Bulls get to the finals, but I think they just come off a little short. Yeah. I just can't bet against Jordan. I just don't see a young Tim Duncan. I don't see an older David Robinson beating that team. I like the reasoning behind it. I just don't see. I just don't see the Spurs beating the Bulls. NBA Finals. I have another question too, because I feel like you know we're talking about like how Scotty's legacy was kind of not taking a hit, 
but people were kind of like his career wasn't as perfect as we might have thought it was. Yeah. But I feel like someone who kind of got the short end of the stick too in this whole Ducky series was Horace Grant. Because I think he was a really big part of that first title run. Horace Grant, okay. First repeat. He was really good. And I think they kind of started talking about that when Jordan came back and they played the Magic. And if you remember in that uh, 30 for 30 about the Magic, they kind of talk about like how big Horace was for that team, that young team with the young Penny and mm-hmm. the young Shaq, and how he was like that veteran influence who could still play. And that ended up being the difference in the, what was it, the 95 playoffs? Yeah, 95, like, second round, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, another what if I had, what if Horace would have stayed with the Bulls after 93 or after 94 and say he would have signed an extension? Because I still would have believed that Jordan would have retired. But do you think that the Bill Bulls steal that championship in 95, 96, I think, or 94, 95, if Horace is still with them during that year? Because remember, they were talking about how he was kind of the missing piece, and that's why the Magic eliminated him, because they didn't have that low post presence. Yeah. So if they have Horace, do you think like maybe they play the Rockets in the finals, and do you think they beat them? That's all debatable, right? Because Horace Grant was a great player for them. I mean, that's why they went to go get Dennis Rodman because they knew they had to fill the void for Horace Grant. I just think Jordan had his legs under him after he came back. He wasn't in basketball shape. He didn't have his legs under him. They even talked about that in the documentary. They said he was filming Space Jam at the time as well. So I think it all was on Jordan. If Jordan would have had his legs under him, he would have came back a little bit more in shape. They could have beat. Because Jordan, as you see in that documentary, I think it was episode six or seven, where you just seen Jordan was gassed in those playoffs. You seen like he was gassed. Penny ripped him in game one, stole the ball. The Magic go on to win game one. So say if the Bulls would have won that game, the series probably would have been a lot different, right? Yeah. No, it was funny, too, because I remember there was reports saying, or I don't know how legit they were, but I remember during that, people were saying during that 95 run when Jordan had just come back, I believe one of the reporters asked him about the like the Rockets or what team he would have preferred, and then Jordan supposedly saying that that's the team he didn't want to play just because of the matchup or the Twin Towers they had, mm-hmm. and like he didn't want to face Hakeem. So I mean, it would have been interesting to see, like, because I do think they do sneak into the finals and steal it. But I don't know if they if they beat the Rockets just because the Rockets were kind of peaking at that time and they had all the momentum. So I don't know if the Bulls would have beat them. Because remember, it was Rockets' second year. They yeah. already had one of the year before, yeah, so they already knew what it took to win. So I think that would have also played a part, too. And they had Hakeem. They had shooters around Hakeem. So I think that would have been a matchup problem for the Bulls, even with the horse grant. Because I don't think who's their center built was it. They had, it wasn't Cartwright, I don't think. I think was it, it Whittington? Yeah, I think it was Whittington. I don't think, mm-hmm. he, I don't think he touches Hakeem during that finals. So I think it would have been a... Finals, I mean, it's one of the ultimate what if in sports. I would have loved to see that, see how that finals would have played out. But yeah, dude, that's that was what I was thinking about too, like the horse grand effect, how it affected on that year, and maybe Jordan might have seven right now if he stays. Yeah, I think he would have seven if he got his legs under him. I do like the Horace Grant angle. He did mean a lot to that team, but I just think if Jordan had his legs under him. A lot of experts think if Jordan wouldn't have retired in 94, 95, the Houston Rockets wouldn't have any championships at all. They believe that Jordan and the Bulls would have won eight straight. I'm not saying it's possible. That's a very, very, very bold argument. That's another debate for another day. But I can see your angle on the Horace Grant. I think Jordan was just tired. I just think Jordan was tired in 95. He wasn't in shape. 
That's why they lost to the Magic. But the next year, as you've seen, when Jordan had the legs under him, they completely dominated the Magic. It wasn't even a contest. Yeah, I mean, you could say that, too. Like, if they win in 95, I don't think there's a possibility that since you're not going to have that type of motivation going into the 96 season, maybe they don't win in 96 because that's what kind of fueled Jordan's the beginning of that run of their second three-peat. You know, that's what kind of motivated them. Like, oh, you think I'm done? Oh, we got beat by, you know, my former teammate, and we all know how Jordan was built. He didn't need that much to get going. So I think that kind of – then they ended up winning 72 games that year. I don't think that happens if they win it the year before and steal that title. But you know, it's Jordan, so you never know. Never know, never know. On that note, go ahead and wrap it up. Thanks for joining me, man. Yeah, man. Like I said, hopefully we get sports back soon. This docuseries really held it down these last couple of weeks. Gave us something to look forward to. And I honestly learned a lot. Obviously, I wasn't from that time. I was too young to kind of witness the greatness of Jordan. But it was an awesome series, bro. It sucks now. I don't know what I'm going to do my Sunday evenings now. Probably just rewatch every episode again. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got a couple of recommendations on the on my notepad. People telling me the Quiet Storm, the documentary about Ron Artest. They told me about the Kevin Durant, PG County, The Water. That's another documentary on my list. Though they're both on Showtime, so I'm gonna go watch those. Something in the meantime to do. They got the Lance Armstrong, Thirty for Thirty coming this Sunday. They also have the Clippers documentary coming, Thirty for Thirty as well. I don't know how long we're going to have to, they're going to wait to bring that out. But it's some things to look forward to, but I understand. Hopefully we get sports back sooner than later. In the meantime, everybody stay safe out there. Thanks for joining me, Jay. I want to send a shout out to all our first responders, all the people that's on the front lines. We just wish everybody stay safe. And that's episode three of Couch Talk Sports. See you later, Jay. All right, man.